He doesn't understand that he's the one who has the power to stop it. He simply can't imagine that one little boy could be that important. It has come down to this. Bracey, one and a half minutes. Greg Laidlaw, the moment he struck it, looked down and picked up the tee. back to the Scottish Rugby Blog podcast. As always, I am Cammy Black and I'm joined this week by Rory Baldwin. Hello. And making his second guest appearance on the podcast, it's Rugby World Magazine's Alan Dimmick. Hello. I'm surprised that you don't stumble more when you say the name of the podcast. Is there not some shortened version of the name that you could get in? I've been thinking about this, yeah. We, I, SRBP? Strup? Strup. Strup. Because it's sweet. No, definitely not. Yeah, I've been racking my brains on that, but there's no, it doesn't seem like there's any neat way to to shorten it. And we've gone with it. It's the brand. Yeah, I should have, I should have come up with a catchier name for the site in the first place. Then we would have had, wouldn't have had these issues. We, I will point out we are SEO friendly. Um, Yeah. There there is, that was kind of why. Yeah, there is another, um, podcast that does um apparently care about scottish rugby um and they are constantly changing their name ever so slightly and tweaking it to make themselves seo friendly which is which is quite amusing um you can get in touch with us if you've got any suggestions for the name of the podcast do get in touch um if you think of a rebrand um if you've got any uh, suggestions for names of listeners um srb peers that doesn't sound right um (laughs) You can visit the blog scottishrugbyblog.co.uk. We're on Twitter at scottrugbyblog. I'm at Cami Black. We're on Facebook, and you can email us podcast at scottishrugbyblog.co.uk. Uh, Alan, how can people find you? Uh, somewhere out there in the darkness. But I do have a suggestion for a podcast name. Yeah. If you want to be more SEO friendly, surely you just do Rugby World Cup from Scottish perspective. <laughs> <laughs> I might just put that in the description of every single one. Yeah, do it. Um, Alan, you, you, in a break from tradition on this podcast, you, we, we are, I'm viewing you live in your, your front room. Um, you've got a couple really of shirts on the back on. <laughs> <laughs> you've got some shirts on the wall. What are those? Uh, oh, okay. Uh, so this is actually the office. Uh, I have, uh, this one is London St. George's, which is a team in Canada I played for. Uh, that's a Scottish club international shirt. So I played for them. And then if I tilt the screen slightly, that is a a Harriet shirt and a winner's medal from when we won the cup final in 2000-something. Very nice. Um, If if you want to tell us um, what you can see when you're uh, listening to the podcast, do get in touch uh, in the usual ways. Um, now, unlike other outlets, we uh, we haven't rushed to do a Six Nations review straight after the league game. Uh, what we thought we'd do, we'd let the corpse of Scotland's Six Nation fester and bloat a little bit, just to see if anything interesting came out. Um, the big question, I suppose, uh, Rory, I'll start with you, is are Scotland any further forward in terms of development than they were in the autumn? Uh, yes, I'm going to say. I'm going to say yes. I think... Uh... Yeah, we're when we're good, we're better than we were. So that I think is a sign of progress. So when Scotland play well, they're better than when they used to play well before. Whatever they were, they're kind of okay. They're now actually almost very good when they play well. Um, I think you know if Scotland have a have one of their good days, there's probably not too many teams that wouldn't worry a little bit. Um, but I think we're still too inconsistent for you know for the opposition to brick it every time they they see Scotland coming down the down the tunnel. Um, I suppose at least we we are kind of being taken seriously again, which is nice. Uh, Alan, you agree with that? Um, to, yes, to an extent. I mean, the what I will say is the Calcutta Cup result. No matter how disastrous a campaign you can have, 
that just puts such a gloss on everything. But from a, I suppose looking at it, if try to look at it as a neutral, Scotland still entertain. I mean, they, they haven't scored as many tries. I mean, mm. everyone always talks about how, and this is one thing where you could say a step forward but a half pace back, is that Scotland have not been free scoring. I mean, try bonuses haven't exactly fallen from the sky for Scotland in the Six Nations. Um, so my lukewarm take would be that at least, at the very least, they're still bloody entertaining, even when they're not scoring loads and loads of tries. So, for example, if you go back to that Calcutta Cup result, three tries in the first half and then defensive showcase. I know you want to talk about defence a little bit later, but defensive showcase in that second half as well. So a bit of everything. I suppose the best thing about it as well is that if you fast forward to the Six Nations next year and you look at the fixture list, it'll be even better, you'd imagine, looking at the fixture list for Scotland's next Six Nations. You would hope, yeah. Um, I mean, it's quite interesting the point you made about Scotland playing entertaining rugby, both of you. Um, it was Team Team Cam. I don't know if that's after me or just that, the name for himself on the comments, uh, has made a point on the blog that um, Ireland's game plan is simple and well executed. So I, I think, Rory, you'd picked up on the comment. And it, I suppose the question is, is this Chaos Rugby fastest brand of rugby trademark, is that too complex and ambitious for any team to compete given that Gregor Townsend is apparently handing out these playbooks for every single game Alan oh sorry you're asking me <laughs> uh, I, 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 did ask, I did I did drop Rory in, the, in there but he didn't answer so I just thought I'd go with you um, well it's no secret that Gregor Townsend is a details man uh, I mean as much as you'd like to say that uh, Ireland have a, a, a more simple game plan I don't actually think that's true. I've been speaking to some former and current Ireland players recently who say that however simple you think it looks, uh, Joe Schmidt is on the training ground analysing every single ruck in training, analysing how animated you are when you run a decoy line. You know, little, little things that actually all add up. So there's a lot that goes into that. So I think maybe selling Ireland a little bit short in terms of how much work they do behind the scenes. Townsend, it's no secret that... He has plans upon plans of if we this first phase play doesn't go right, then here's what we do for the next three phases. Um, it, you know, it seems to be working, and it's certainly the reason why it works, and I, I believe this firmly, is that Scotland are so incredibly fit that you can process things when you're blowing out your backside when you're that fit. And Scotland seem to be doing well, slightly doing well on the hoof away from home it seems to be a different story but you suppose you have to say why change it if it's if it's working the way that uh, Townsend's approaching it as was how I'd summarize that yeah I mean it's an interesting point uh, you make about the fitness um, and I think a lot of the players have talked about the most important parts of Townsend's game being the first 20 minutes and then the last 20 minutes Rory and we've seen Scotland maybe a lot fitter than they've been in the past and especially against Italy, I think that, that was telling. Yeah, I mean, you know, we went through um, probably certainly up to the 2011 World Cup um, as a team that would start incredibly slowly and then maybe be okay in the last 20 minutes, they'd start playing some rugby, but by then they'd be too far out of it. And I think being quicker uh, quicker out of the blocks is something that Townsend's obviously worked on because the team has looked um, a lot a lot better uh, in the first half for, for most of the games. Um, but yeah, I think they need something. I think they need some slightly less sexy rugby suitably, uh, suitable for playing away from home. I mean, um, I think what Rory's alluding to there, and it's this is one of the things where it's nobody's fault. Um, but if you look at Scotland, where it really falls down is those big ballast ball carries in midfield where you're blowing holes and things. And Scotland just still don't have that. You know, yeah. I suppose that I suppose the one player you could say that slots into it is an Eck Dunbar, but he's just been plagued with injury. You know, he's the kind he's a lightning rod in midfield. Even if he's not busting holes, defenders are drawn to him. And, you know, he, he pulls things together there. In the pack, for example, Johnny Gray is a magnificent rugby player. His statistics blow everyone out of the water. When he made a hundred tackles in this Six Nations, mm. you have to take your hat off to him because that is just incredible work rate. That's actually a demonstration of 
all that is good about this Scotland's high work rate, fast-paced, uh, racking up the numbers style of play that they want to have. The issue with that is that if you look at Scotland's back row, for example, who is in there busting holes? There isn't anyone putting their hand up for that at the moment. David Denton slid in at the end of the Six Nations to, to possibly offer that up. But, I mean, the Cornell Dupree gamble in the very first game was a bust. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, it's also not a surprise uh, for a lot of people that you speak to behind the scenes that Cornell Dupree has, uh, won't be with Edinburgh next season. He's moving on to Pastures New. Um, and it just seems like one of those things where Scotland's... It's hard to say missing a trick because who do you slot, slot in there? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting in terms of the back row that I think in the autumn, uh, we, I think, on the podcast, we're a little bit harsh on Ryan Wilson, although we've come round to him. And I think it, it's maybe the idea that, that when you're playing with two sevens, like Scotland do, that Wilson isn't fulfilling the traditional eight role of a big ball carrier. He's there as as a six. But that then leaves, like you said, it leaves the gap um at eight as to who's then the one that's busting holes because Gilchrist to an extent did it. Johnny Gray doesn't really make many metres with ball in hand. Hamish Watson has done it in the past, but I think, you know, there's that ridiculous stat, I think, against England where he, he beat five defenders but made one metre. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's a he's a he's a pin pinball uh, in there, bouncing off folk. Uh which which looks great and you know, you also have to say that sometimes staying on your feet and not going too far is as valuable as making lots and lots of metres, tactically speaking. Uh, so you can't knock anyone down for that. And uh, ironically, you can't knock down um, Watson either. He just seems to stay on all the time. Uh, but, um, yeah, it's just one of those things where if you looked at Scotland's, and rather than saying step forward or step back, you said, right, where can you go to from here? That is the one area where they've got to be focusing on and saying, who can we bring in there? Because, you know, Scotland have flirted with players that can that can jump in and make a difference, but you know, as impressive as Adam Ash was, for example, when he when he was a, a regular with the Scotland team, you wouldn't say that he's a bulldozing number eight. Mm. You know, David Denton is a bulldozing number eight, but he doesn't have the the depth of touch or the feet that an Adam Ash has. Um, you know, Josh Strauss is a player who seems to be on the edges of wilderness uh, for Gregor Townsend, and you know he's willing to call in other people from Sale Sharks, but but not. Josh Strauss and you wonder well is is there maybe a room for him I don't know this is one of these things that's going to have to be contemplated when it comes to summer tour time and tossing up whether or not to rest some people or whether to go whole hog it also helps that if you want to reintroduce or introduce someone to the Scotland squad uh, for the summer tour uh, of looking at the schedules they've got playing through the Americas because with the best will in the world with the exception of Argentina um, you know playing the North American sides you can afford to experiment a bit yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, that I suppose that would bring us on to the summer tour in a way. Is that we had a comment on the blog, interestingly, uh, first of all from Richie Vernon, um, who <laughs> named is on the podcast one who named at one to twenty three Richie Vernon. Um, May not I, have been the real Richie Vernon. Well, I did check. I tweeted Richie Vernon, who said came, actually came back and said, "I've been thinking about it and just couldn't help getting my squad out there. Good balance in that section. Think my comment speaks for itself." Um, but yeah, I mean, on the summer tour, you talk about that and you talk about, I mean, does does Townsend stick with the core squad and bring in a few in terms of, you know, having consistency or does he roll the dice massively and bring in the likes of Horn and Hastings, Rory? Yeah, um, well, I think uh, I think there's the definite shout for, uh, for Hastings. Um, I mean, from what we've kind of touched on a, a little bit, but We've pretty clearly identified we're thin at number eight. Um, we're probably a little thin at, at standoff um, and at fullback, and we still don't really seem to know uh, our best sort of loose head or like centre combo. Um, I think we've seen probably most of the candidates for maybe all the positions apart from eight. Um, but it's yeah, it's the combinations and things. I think yeah, Hastings would be a good choice to go on tour. But I mean, Horn, he's going to the Gold Coast Sevens in April, course, so he's yeah. he's he's going to have a fair fair bit of work. Um, I mean, there's a, an argument to say you could take Matt Figerson. He's again he's going to the uh, he's I think he's still eligible for the under twenties, which overlaps the uh, summer tour. So I don't know whether the, whether Gregor's going to pull him out of that or whether he lets him. Uh, the under twenties could probably use the 
use the boost, I think. Yeah, um, well, that's an interesting point that Rory raises there because there are a number of things that overlap. So the Goko 7s happen halfway through April. Um, the, the seven series is a... Uh, it's If it's tough enough for the athletes, then you look at what they've got going on in April. They've got the Hong Kong... Some of them will have the Hong Kong 7s, the Gold Coast 7s uh, at the Commonwealth Games a week after, and then another week after that, there'll be the Singapore 7s. Um, so pray for anyone that's actually going to all three of those. Um, the squads that don't have much cash behind them will probably have to do that. Um, poor <laughs> that they are. Um, are you but, them on but, the sesh? Sorry, what was that? Are you going to all three of them on the sesh? No, I will not be going to. I'm not going to any of those on the sesh, actually. Um, or even in a working capacity. Um, but Rory's right. They've got the under-20s. They've got the summer tour, which is a perplexing one. You know, Gregor Townsend has to make his mind up where he goes because of who they're playing on the summer tour. But as well as that, the under-20s, Matt Ferguson's got the potentially the under-20s, but he could go on and play at the Sevens World Cup, which is in San Francisco on the 22nd of July. So oh, there are the 20th to the 22nd of July. He's got, op- you know, there are options. And you say, right, do we want to give Lee Jones the opportunity to try and get a medal at Sevens World Cup, or do we want to take him on tour? Do we want to give Matt Ferguson the opportunity to play at the 20s or go on the summer tour or try and get... Uh, a sevens world cup medal there there are other guys that fall into that that bracket that you could say go either way um and that's where, where it's interesting a lot of it also depends on who goes in the summer tour you know we're talking hypothetically whether or not greg Townsend would want to take his best 15 does he know who his best 15 are really when it comes down to it, who's fit because mm. there are guys um who have been out long term or who are dropping in and out uh, so you could say WP now, you imagine now he'll come through things, he should be fit. He needs to get that kind of rugby under his belt because he's been away for some time. You know, Xander Ferguson is back in. Does he want? Does he need that level of rugby? Do you try and rehabilitate guys that have been out for a long time or do you go, actually, that kind of rest is better, for, uh, you know, a long, lengthy rest is better for you than traipsing off to the Americas, going through a couple of time zones to, to, to try and play some test rugby. And I suppose you've also got the Hugh Jones conundrum because he's been playing rugby, I mean, apart from his long layoff with injury, but he's been playing rugby pretty solidly for probably nigh on two years now, has he? Something like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's we go, you go back, you mentioned Dunbar earlier on, and I was just thinking when I was, I mean, I posed the question to both of you before this about what whether Gregor Townsend knows his top best 15 or whether he needs to know it, and... The Dunbar one's an interesting thing because I think what we saw in the Six Nations was this idea of having a sort of second distributor at 12 and that seemed to work. Um, sure. And it's whether or not Dunbar actually, you know, where Dunbar now fits into to the Scotland setup, given he was nailed on, does he offer that option? Well, I think I think they need the option. Uh, you'd rather have, rather have him up your sleeve than not have him. And when he's on form, you know, even people that with a passing interest in rugby that Scotland or Glasgow play, when he's on form, he demands attention. And that's something that you it's always going to help you to have that up your sleeve. So I don't think anyone's ever going to chuck the notion as well. Sometimes sport can be a very emotional thing as well. And people want to help out good guys. And I, I don't know... I don't know how much of a secret they made of it, but Alex Dunbar had the options to go abroad um, mm. over the last couple of seasons, and he's opted to stay. But the way his body's his body has let him down more than anyone else, and he's been a loyal servant. Whether people want to pay him back for that, I don't know. Sport can be cutthroat, but you'd like to you'd like to imagine that he'll be given the opportunity to play his way back in wherever he gets a chance. Yeah. Rory? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think. I mean. In terms of his, his best 15, I think he definitely, after that Six Nations, he probably knows his best 15 from the guys, the sort of selection of guys he, <clears throat> who who played it. Um, but yeah, as uh, as Alan, Alan's talked about, there's a few guys that um, sat, sat chunks of that tournament out, um, particularly the props, um, Figerson, Nell, Alan Dell, who we didn't see at all, Marfo, um, and also the guys like Richie Gray, Duncan Taylor and, and Alex Dunbar, who we've talked about. And I think there's there's still uh, the, the the issue I suppose you have is is something like last uh, season when we had Duncan Taylor was on the summer tour but Hugh Jones was injured so he didn't um, he didn't travel 
And so we haven't yet seen if maybe Taylor and Jones is, is an, an ideal combination. We've seen Dunbar and Jones play plenty. We've now seen Horn and Jones play quite a lot. Um, and yet there are, you know, even Taylor and and Dunbar as a, as a pair in the centre, there's, um, there's, yeah, there's, there's still a few, uh, few questions. Now, I guess there's, there's something interesting that's been thrown up over the weekend is that, and it ties into something that Rory alluded to there. Rory said earlier that Scotland are possibly a bit thin at fly half. You know, they could potentially chuck Pete Horn in there. He's played it before. But the other thing is that they saw during the Six Nations, and it was a, it was almost a joke um, in, in through when he first moved in. It was when Finn Russell was taken off and Greg Laidlaw was moved to ten. You know, some people were a bit surprised by that. It's something that could be potentially looked at over the summer because Clermont Auvergne, uh, by getting absolutely hammered 49-0 by Toulon at the weekend, are out of the running for the top 14. So they're not going to make the playoffs. We all know how crazy the, the French playoffs are and that that season is never-ending. Um, hmm. It's like some sort of story. And um, <laughs> they, I love you, Falcor. And they, <laughs> see Gregor Townsend, the Greg, Greg Laidlaw riding on the back of a furry dragon. That's a lovely image. I mean, well, they are going to to Asia. Where the, yeah, I'd love to see that. Um, <laughs> he he could potentially be brought in, and they could give him an extended run at ten to see how he goes because he will, you know, he's not going to have a lot of rugby uh, with Claremont come the tail end of the season. So he's, you'd imagine, Greg Laidlaw will be going on that tour. Maybe we could see him at fly half. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting what you were saying earlier about. Well, is the se- I suppose the second part of the question that I've, I posed to you both about whether or not Gregor Townsend needs to know his his perfect fifteen, and it was something we touched on in the autumn. Is well, does he need to know it, or is this a case of he has a set of players that just flit in and out of his systems? And I suppose we saw that with Greg Laidlock. You know, th- there was the joke I think Townsend made after the French game that he'd been practicing, you know, plays in the car park beforehand just in the eventuality they needed to play 10 but he has I suppose aside from the issues away from home he has a set of players and it doesn't matter what combinations he has if he's got the players that just come in and fit these systems and are able to play that I suppose sets you up better for a World Cup where you've got unknown unknown issues you know the unknowns of injuries and and suspensions that come your way yeah the rhythm that Scotland want to play at is not going to change depending on who you've got at fly half the 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 weight of touch uh with the pass you know you're not going to see greg laidlaw try to float a ball over a, a a biting winger's head um you know like finn russell would those are the little touches that would be different you're not going to see you know you can see it he does have it in his arsenal but it's not exactly you know it's a once in a blue moon thing you're not going to see greg laidlaw try and chip over the top and chase and catch it himself um like you would see from finn russell but that's a minor touch, you know, those are those sort of individual moments that you get when a game, and Gregor Townsend's game plan does allow for those. You know, there is communication that people can use on the fly within a structure, but that structure will not change. You can't imagine they're going to uh, they're going to throw out the game plan for that based on the fact that their fly half has had to go off. So I think you're right in the respect that Gregor Townsend doesn't have to know his full strength 15. He'd love to have his full strength 15, but, you know, Here's the nuance as well that we probably don't give coaches and players enough credit for is that they can change tactics slightly for depending on who they're playing against. So, mm. for example, the way that we saw we see Scotland play um, on this summer tour we'll, uh, comp- when they face off against Canada will be completely different to the first game of the Rugby World Cup when they play Ireland in Yokohama because you have to tailor for who you're playing against. You can still use your basic structures you can still use those rhythms that Scotland will want to use against every single team they play against with high volume uh, and quick ruck ball. You know, that's the ideal scenario for them. But who? there will be little nuances here and there. Yeah. I suppose the touchstone of, of players flitting in and out and fitting into systems and getting through a World Cup is um, New Zealand in 2011, where they end up with Piri Wipu playing 10. Someone want to say that one? <laughs> yeah, it's. I, I guess yeah, it's it's a risk. Um, I suppose the you know the the uh, I would imagine that the uh, Stuart Hoggett ten apologists uh, on the on the blog would, would wonder why we haven't discussed that one yet. 
as a as a possibility. But I mean, in the heat of a tournament, Hoggy, there are we we get quite a few. Yeah, quite a lot of flat um, earthers, as I, as I like to call them. <laughs> but uh, but at the same time, during you know during a game, Hoggy can slot in at first receiver. He has done it, um, just not very often. Um, but as 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 Alan says, you know, if if that's a possibility, if that's something they're going to look at, they're going to say, look, Finn's our guy, but if he gets injured, we need a backup. Or, um, you know, you, they could give him they could give him half a game on the tour. There, I don't know. So I mean, uh, we've we've touched on fly half. So how, Rory? How do you solve a problem like Finn Russell? Um, well, I mean, I think. I think the the problem, as we put it, is it's in the process of being solved. I mean, for me, the the, the two things that he needs are um, somebody coming up behind him, somebody challenging his position, and I think probably just more time, more experience uh, to learn. You know, more time to learn from Tooney. Um, so I think the problem, if if it is such a thing, is is being solved. Um, but it's probably just patience and experience is is what we need. Um, I think as he gains an experience, what he's going to offer. Scotland as a side in attack, well, you know, it's going to outweigh the outweigh the negatives. But we ha- we kind of put it up with it with with Townsend, and I think you're going to see it with Russell. There are going to be times where he throws that silly pass, and you think, why did you do that? In fact, he did it when I d- I said that when he threw that pass that that came off so well. <laughs> you can't even you can't even tell how they're going to end up when he does it. Yeah, I think Alan um, Townsend has said, and I hadn't quite appreciated this, the amount of time that he gets with the players. At, based in Scotland outside of the normal international windows and I suppose that's a slight worry with Russell going to France is that, that I'm sure there'll still be lines of communication open but whether or not there is that time to spend with him and you sort of trusting Rassing to to do the development work that otherwise would be happening in Glasgow and Scotland set up Yes, now that is the thing about Rassing is the best will they're not the most expansive team in the world you know they have incredibly talented athletes with them but you wouldn't be leaning on them to try and you wouldn't imagine that they'd try and play the Finn Russell way I mean I don't imagine any team goes out to try and play the Finn Russell way fucking a skull but I this is the thing is I don't think personally speaking I wouldn't want to try and hammer any of that out of them ever because Finn Russell has to play with a smile on his face. He has to play when he is into the game. Mm-hmm. And if you try and take that away from him, and it's I hope it doesn't happen, but um, you know, a, a grueling, grueling top fourteen season where Racing Metro have Racing ninety two, sorry, have all the pressure on them to do well in Europe and in the league, and you know they've always had a high turnover of players. They're not afraid to tell people what they genuinely think and whether they're delivering the goods or not. And also with Racing ninety two, it's worth bearing in mind that if you're an asset of theirs, you are treated as such. So for example, they go on big tours around the world, try to trade off of star names, and players will have to play gram- glamour friendlies. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll have to try and play as many minutes as possible in the league, and the league is attritional as hell. So when Finn Russell gets the opportunity to come back to Scotland, you want him to be beaming. You want him to be genuinely enjoying being in that environment and playing with his mates because that's when you get the best out of him. So, you know, yeah, he will try that pass when it's not on. He will play right on the game line and it's it's that sort of... You find yourself doing that emoji where you're sort of grimacing with a smile <laughs> um, you know, when, when he does it. But when it comes off, it's spectacular. You Unfortunately, with players like him, you can't just hope that they'll turn into a Johnny Wilkinson. So, <laughs> um, I mean, if we talk about that pass, well, in fact, not talking about that pass, Rory, what's what was your sort of moment or the key moment for Scotland in the in the Six Nations? Um, okay, well, I, it probably should have been a positive, but I've actually gone for a negative. It was one that I talked about um, on the. Uh, one that I talked about when we were looking at the, the Ireland game, and it was the uh, it was that line out just before half time, when Scotland were had a line out round about halfway, we're looking comfortable to finish the half, doing pretty well. Um, and they um, 
threw the line out away and then Grant Gilchrist overcompensated, cleared out um, Connor Murray falling out of a ruck, penalty advantage, Ireland broke down the pitch and a couple of seconds later they were in, in for a try and I think it was just that for me illustrated, it was a sort of object lesson that until Scotland are the finished article and they may never be the finished article but the you know of our dreams um but certainly they can't they just can't afford to switch off for a second against the the top teams um you know we've showed that we can beat or at least challenge pretty much anyone on our day but i think yeah tuni's tuni's problem now is how to figure out how to make it our day you know more often than not um because yeah there, there's still the sort of the issue with the wee kind of the wee mistakes and uh, and those those you know you're always going to make mistakes in a game, um, but it's making the mistakes at the right time and in the right places so that they don't hurt you. Yeah, I went for the two. I went for what well, a couple of moments from the Allen game as well was the Jones to Hog pass that goes horribly wrong, and also the Pete Horn interception because they both those balls go to Scottish hands and that's a very different game. I think you know everybody came out of that game saying, you know, I think John John Barker was saying at the end of the game, Scotland had four chances to score a try and they put one away. Ireland had, do you know how three chances and they put all three away, and that's the difference, I suppose, is is in the execution. And like I said, we'd be talking about if those two balls had gone to hand, we're talking about a very different tournament for Scotland, Alan. Yeah, well, uh, there's another, there's the other one in there, is and I don't know how it's possible to do it but over th- uh, Stuart Hogg throwing the ball over Kinghorn who is 9 foot 12 or something <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure how that's physically possible but yeah that was on I was at that game and it was those were those when those moments happened there was very much a sense of Sam slipping through the fingers mm. but you know tales of those games Ireland even if they'd gone to hand I imagine you know playing devil's advocate Ireland would have won that fixture, I think. Anyway, hmm. the way it goes, it would have, the game would have had a completely different complexion. But um, I think if you want to look at the positives, firstly, it's it's the tenacity that Scotland showed uh, during the Six Nations. So, for example, uh, I was actually in Cardiff for the horrendous end of end of tournament match between Wales and France, which. I'll never get that time back in my life. <laughs> but the um, watching on the screen down in the bowels of Cardiff, watching the the Scotland game in in Rome, is the lack of panic is a very positive sign. And it's one of those things that I initially wrote down when you told us what you were going to be talking about to, tonight. Is um, you know what are the goods and good and the bad for Scotland? And it's you cast your mind back to even four years ago, Scotland in tight games like that wouldn't have won it. Because that sensation of winning those tight games, of knowing you're going to pull through, is a really hard thing to, to 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 win for yourself, and it's something that you can lose very easily. Scotland have it at the moment, where those tight games they can see it out, and and that's a very positive thing. And also, again, I mentioned at the top about the lack of the surprising lack of tries during the Six Nations, but. It's almost a good thing to be disappointed about that because Scotland have come through a time in our lifetimes where no one expected tries. It was all on reliance on the boot. And how fantastic it is to go break in case of emergency. There's Greg Laidlaw who will kick anything uh, from from a from a certain range. To have that in your arsenal is fantastic, and that's that's a real positive. The only the thing as well is you talked about moments and. I wish I could get a player cam right up in his grill for that moment. I don't want to say light bulb, but it was probably more like the sound of a snapping branch. But when John Barkley realised, wait, I can have a go here at the breakdown and no one is going to shout at me. I can just <laughs> throw the ball. And Nigel Owens is going to let me away with it. Um, and that that's that sort of thing where Barkley actually laughed. Uh, at the notion in the press conference after the Calcutta Cup where people said, so you absolutely obliterated England at the breakdown. That must have been something you were working on all week. And he said, no, not really. It wasn't something that we'd planned for, but you know, we thought on the hoof when we realised that actually pretty early on we could have a go there, we did. And it paid, it paid dividends. And that's the sort of thing, that's the encouraging thing for Scotland. 
I suppose, yeah, on that point, the encouraging thing, you talk about the Wales, we haven't really touched on the Wales game, I think most of us have wiped it from our memories, but the you look at the Wales game and the way that Scotland were competing at the breakdown there and making a real hash of it, is the, throughout the, you, that, that's the one development I suppose there is, is that going from that game, they started to pay attention to the referee a lot more and adapt the way that they were competing at the breakdown a little bit. Yeah, and you have to. This is a this is part of, you know, this this podcast is all focused on Test rugby, and one of the hallmarks is, and I've heard a lot of people talk about it uh, of late, is should there be more uniformity with referees at all levels? You know, should we expect the same interpretation from a referee at different breakdowns? You know what? I I don't actually I don't know if I want that. You know, there should be an element of mystery. There should be personalities within the game. Differently, yes, you want all referees to be fair. That's fine. But how you interpret a small situation like that—that's part of the skill of being a good Test rugby player, is being able to interpret that. Scotland did get it wrong, and you know, in times, and you're right, in Wales, it was just felt like they were at sea uh, for a lot of it. And you know, against Ireland, for example, just giving away silly penalties—that's um, the kind of thing that will kill you at test level. Again, they didn't get that right at the early stages against Italy. They, you know, they got completely on the wrong side of the referee. And that's one of those things where that's the skill. So as encouraging as it was in the Calcutta Cup game, that's where Scotland will have to play at canny because you cannot just have people guddling for the ball constantly in games. And But you'd imagine by the time it rolls around to Ireland in that first game of the World Cup in Japan, in, in uh, Yokohama, um, in 2019, that's that's something that Scotland, you know, people will talk about. Should Scotland's defence be better? That a large part of the sins com, uh, confounded from bad defence come from giving away silly penalties or advantage a lot of the time, or you know, giving people the opportunity to play with advantage. And that's one of those things that Scotland need to get right before that first game of the World Cup. I mean that was it was a point a few people have raised on the blog is is the issue of coaching. Um, there's been some quite um, wild um, suggestions about changing in the coaching setup, um, as you do get on internet comment boards. Um, but there, there is a suggestion that that maybe uh, well I suppose the question is is it a coaching issue Scotland's issues with defence or is it an execution, Rory? Um... I don't know. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah, there there were a few people saying, "Oh, the defence coach sack him," um, who maybe don't know that you know Matt Taylor has been at the, the wheel of the defence for a long time, and I don't think Tooney's going to suddenly uh, have a knee-jerk reaction like that. Um, but I mean, I think yeah, I think the issues you've got to look at it. it. It's it's execution, or you know, maybe you could say it's preparation, but I think execution is going to be the is going to be the uh, the kind of the key factor because they can do it. Fair enough if they were going out every week and looking like they just didn't have, you know, like they did under Matt Williams where the players just didn't look like they understood the systems they were supposed to play. Um, but, I mean, you know, the teams, they, they go out some weeks and, you know, they wipe out a team like Australia or England, um, but then they don't do it all the time, so we end up with Cardiff or Twickenham or Fiji. Um, there's maybe a question mark over his, the, the preparation um, there's there's probably a question mark over maybe me- mental preparations and how you um, you know how, what the the coaching and the management team do to to prepare the players for for going away uh, from home. What do you, um, you say? Well, I'm I'm interested to know what you think of it. Um, I think it's execution. I don't think there's a coaching issue. I mean, it's interesting that under Vern Cotter when he brought Jason O'Halloran in. There was a, a marked difference in the way Scotland started to play, but I, I think it's I think it's far too early to start talking about changing the coaching setup with Scotland. I think, like I said, it's it's a few missed passes here and there. And after the Ireland game, I think it was John on the podcast was saying Scotland almost needed to lose a game like that. They almost needed to have a game where the passes don't come off away from home, and it's you know the scoreline's not close, but the game is tighter than the scoreline suggests. And you know, it's, I think there's. I think I've talked about it before. There's a bit in the Watchmen comics where um, Adrian Veidt gets purposely gets himself beaten up by the comedian so that he can then work out how to beat him <laughs> later on. And there's almost an element of that I think in uh, Scotland's development. I think if Scotland started to win easily from the came in the Six Nations and won some games very easily, I don't I don't necessarily think that would have been a good thing. 
I think in a way they need to get beaten up a bit and they need to because they haven't had that dog about them in the past and they're starting to get it and I think that's maybe coming from you know coming through from the way Embra starting to play a bit but yeah it's I don't think it's a coaching issue there's only so many times you can use that I'm going to go out and get beaten up tactic though yeah that's true yeah. that's fair at some point you're going to have to start winning I mean we talked we have talked about uh, throughout this in the the way Scotland have prepared for away games and whether or not they've they've gone about it in the right way you know flying Townsend said we fly out on the Friday before the game because that's what players do when they play for their clubs and um, Test rugby is different from playing from club rugby. You know, you're going into, you've got the buzz around the city that you're going to. You've got the, you know, doing a captain's run in an unfamiliar stadium. You might be familiar with it on club day, but it's a completely different situation going into it in an international. And I mean, it's hard to know whether or not that that is a, is a factor, but it feels like it's the one thing Scotland haven't done. I mean, they did it in Rome. They went over a bit earlier, but it it feels like wrapping the players up in cotton wool and doing a captain's run at Murrayfield and then almost just sort of throwing them out on the pitch and say deal with this situation now might be might not be preparing the team in the best way I mean I'll be honest with you I'd be interested to know some players views on that um, it's an interesting idea I might ask some people about this concept mm. because um, I don't know if you read the magazine but uh, we have a, a column from a, this guy called the secret player uh, in the magazine every month, and it's something that he's spoken about. And in fact, a few current and former players have said this to me before. But you try and ask people what the what what you were thinking before in a, a massive game. You know what was going through your head in the preparation. And a lot, a lot of the time, people say not much to be honest, because the preparation for most test games and club games is pretty similar. You know, you stay at your hotel, you do a walk through in the morning, uh, you have your your meals. You know, you try and relax a bit. You listen to your music. You get to the stadium. You go through your strap. You get your strapping before you go to the stadium. Um, you try and get prepped there. You might have a cup of coffee. You walk around a bit. You do your warm up, and then it's game time. And it, 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 I'm not trying to try to do down what test rugby is, but I don't know if you want more of that. If that's mm. going to be a difference maker, I'm not sure. Um, but you know, I suppose comfort is a large part of what you want because. It is so attritional and horrendous when you go out on the park. Yeah, um, I suppose. I suppose the thought is whether you know playing away from home is uncomfortable. Is uncomfortable no matter whether it's at club or international level. So it's a it's an interesting question, I suppose, for players. Is do you want to feel does feeling comfortable in advance of being made to feel uncomfortable help, or is it better to deal with the sort of you know feel uncomfortable in advance of it, so you sort of in that mindset of you know, trying to relax and trying to prepare. I mean, it's a re- I, mean I suppose the England national team would be good to ask about that because Eddie Jones's whole thing is you want people to be comfortable with being uncomfortable is actually a phrase yeah. I think he's, he's used. Um, hasn't worked out for them in these six nations, but, you know, these things are cyclical. Yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's an interesting one. I, you know, I'll, I'll try and ask some people about this because I genuinely it would like... Be in- yeah, I mean, Scotland have got da- the guy called Damien Hughes, who I think he's quite well renowned in sports psychology. I think, um, yeah, uh, working with them, he was there sort of post match. So, I mean, quite interesting to see what input he has to these things as well. True. Yeah, maybe he's the one that needs to sort out the defence. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, we are going to be back after these messages. Well, we're low tie and we're low close and doggy by falling speedos. But I just want to know, did you see the legend that's to get down the lead? Yeah, it is uh, Where's Doogie Donnelly, um, our news rumours section of the podcast. Um, first up, we've had a player spotted. It was Scott McEwen got in touch on Twitter to say he saw a uh, Giamba Venditti in the Fourfields pub in Rome after the Scotland match. Uh, he said he was a very nice chap and confirmed he'd be back from concussion for the Glasgow Zebra game as he was. And apparently he likes Guinness. There we go. Uh, there we go. Bit of news there. Um, if you you can see our write up of the Glasgow uh, win over Zebra 687, uh, Ian's reports online. Um, we are lacking a bit for Ember coverage, so if anyone is interested in doing that, uh, give us a shout. Uh, they beat Connor 22-29 away from home. Um, Alan, what, I mean, it'd be interesting to get your view on this. We've been talking about Ember a lot um, 
recently as they sort of suddenly surprisingly in contention for the playoffs um, and maybe a quicker turnaround under Richard Cockrell than a lot of people expected. Yeah, well, he's not he's not mocked about. I almost used that that famous phrase. Uh, he's not there to <clears throat> spiders. Um, he he's yeah he's 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 certainly ringing the changes. And one of the good things I remember when he first came in, did a piece in the magazine where I spoke to people that knew him, and I spoke to folk at, uh, that had played under him at Leicester Tigers, and I spoke to Jim Hamilton was amongst the guys I spoke to as well. And what difference he makes, and there's an inherent fairness about him I've, I've been told on the training field that it doesn't matter your age or experience if you're doing the things he likes you know you will be promoted within it doesn't matter how old you are it doesn't matter you know what you've been through you know if you're not doing the job you'll have a word if you are doing the job you might have a word if you keep doing the job consistently you'll you'll have a word and he'll he'll let you know that he values you and that's something that Edinburgh needed for some time is the promotion of talent within the ranks that could get there just needs a little bit of a boot to get there and that doesn't mean bringing in guys journeymen from all over well not from all over actually from decidedly south <laughs> to try and fix holes uh, and it seems it's paying dividends and you know I don't think people give enough enough credit to Edinburgh as well. Is again, when people have tried to come in and fix Edinburgh, you know, it's that whole thing of oh they're too soft, and that, as if that means that there's only two ways of playing: you either chuck the ball around or you play up the jumper. Of course, we know rugby union's not like that anymore. There's there's nuance to it. There's mm-hmm. degrees of that, and I think they're finding the right balance. The the true test now, I suppose, is and the thing is, is with the personnel flitting in and out and relying on guys and going, actually, maybe you should spend some more time playing with us or you should go away and play with the sevens. It'll be interesting to see the legs that they've got because mm. it's almost nosebleed territory now for Edinburgh. Now, maybe they can keep the role going, and that's fantastic because, um, you know, it's an interesting setup as well because you get more of a sniff this season with the way that the almost the playoffs for the playoffs uh, coming in that you get that, that chance to play, um, to, to get yourself into the playoffs by playing against someone else. is It's an interesting setup. It'd be interesting to see how Edinburgh go with that dynamic, if they do, yeah. or just stay up there. Yeah, and even interesting to see, you know, with the sort of difficult second album of next season as well, whether they can yeah. carry it. I mean, it was an, uh, Jamie Lyle. See, I, um... Sorry, what I will say, Cam, is it... I, I, you know, part of me, as a romantic, part of me doesn't wish this was the case, but it, it certainly has played to Edward's hands that the sort of slow demise of Ulster, that death of a thousand mm-hmm. cuts that Ulster are having this season, has played wonderfully into Edinburgh's hands. So circumstance has obviously helped them as well, the teams around them. Um, but they'll, they'll, you know, whether it's manufactured or not, they'll need the hard nose when we get to that stage of, of reaching the knockouts. Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing is Jamie Lyle was making the point on Twitter at the weekend um, that you looked at that Ember team that played Connor and you've got Duncan Weir, who's on his way out, John Hardy, who, again, on his way out, no, no, yep. no promise of a contract, and who's just come back from suspension. And you've got Magnus Bradbury suspended at the, you know, earlier in the season, and Bradbury gets mad at the match. John Hardy put in a hell of a shift in defence, and Duncan Weir comes on and pretty much won the game in the last 20 minutes for them. And I think the point Jamie was making is that's you know that's good man management you've got players like that who who want to come in and do well i mean they're obviously playing for contracts next season two of them but you know they're still there wanting to to play for the team and that's made yeah. the difference to Embro we've seen in the past yeah i mean it, it's uh it's just nice to see them playing to to see them looking like a team um i mean a lot of the a lot of what they you know a lot of what they do it's not it's not massively complicated but they just you can tell that they're playing for each other now. Um, they've got a bit of, they've just got a bit of backbone. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's still, there's still a little bit of uh, that we've had in the last sort of two, three years of. The, you look at the back line, and you're not really sure um, who's, you know, what, who are the first choices are, are any of them quality. But I think actually, you know, they've got some. Certainly, having Mark Bennett there has been a big, 
a big lift. I think he's gonna, you know, he's he's probably just finding his feet again at the moment. But next season, you know, they've they've recruited pretty well. Um, there's a big question mark for me at scrum half still. What they're, um, you know, they're going to be left with Fowles and Kennedy, and Fowles didn't have a great game um, at the weekend and there. We, and we found out last week that Sean Kennedy gets a bus three stops. Yeah. So maybe the you know work ethic is, is not there if he's on the three three bus stop man. Um, <laughs> I don't know, but yeah. So I think maybe they'll maybe they'll recruit. There might be a maybe they've got a, a center center signing in the works that they're keeping keeping under and uh, not a center sorry a scrum half that they're keeping under their hat. Um, it's I mean yeah he's clearly had a, had an effect a lot a lot quicker and I think as Alan says it's down to it's down to to managing that team where the the issues weren't really the talent of the players it was the kind of the application that was the problem. Um, Rory, you've got some news. You said, "Oh yeah, well, I've got uh, yeah." Speaking of knockout rugby, um, some of my uh, some of my uh, mates were involved in the uh, in I've got to get this right the Cali Regional Bowl. So uh, Ross Sutherland Rugby Club, congratulations! Who beat I think Aberdeen University uh, with a try and a touchline conversion in the last minute, and they are now in the National Bowl semi against Queens Ferry next weekend. Up in Invergordon, if anyone's passing through Invergordon. Um, and yeah, so uh, good luck to them, and obviously to uh, Queens Ferry too, if we're, we're going to be unbiased. Yeah, um, Alan, you got any news? News. Um, I've, I've stuck to the the premise of where's Dougley Donnelly, and minus more people that have been spotted. So, um, my a friend of mine spotted Kit Harrington from uh, Game of Thrones, who. As he's from North in um, in Game of Thrones, I'm claiming that as Scottish Scottish. Um, also, as mainly because one of the guys from uh, up north, one of the Night Watchmen, is on is advertising a Scottish bank. Oh yeah, uh, James Cosmo. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So yeah, definitely Scottish. Um, my my uh, fiance, she spotted Becky Adlington on the bus on the train earlier, and I was doing a. A couple of, since since I was last on this podcast, um, I do the the Times podcast every so often. Uh, they're a rugby podcast there, and one of the last times I was in, Rupert Murdoch walked past me. <laughs> there was a chill in the air. Media personality. Yeah, well, you know, um, when rugby went professional, he was the one that turned everything on its head. So, yeah, I suppose yeah, you've got he, to uh, nod to him for that. Arguably ruined rugby league, though. So, oh right, okay. Well, look. If you're going to look for a brown lining on it. <laughs> um, the other quick note is that last week on the podcast, we said there hadn't been any news about the Super 6 for a while. And then the next day, uh, there was lots of news about the Super 6. Um, it's been covered pretty well elsewhere. Uh, Alan, are you excited by the prospect of a Dundee team? Yeah, we'll see how that one pans out. Um, <laughs> you know, I think you can... I'm a, I'm a sceptic, but we'll, we'll, see, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Um, other quick news, because um, I've, I've promised I'm going to keep to time this week, um, is Channel 4 have got the rights for the Champions Cup um, from until 2022. There'll be one match from each pool, then one quarterfinal, a semi, and then the final itself. Um, the official Channel 4 press release ended on a really panicky note, though. It says, Channel 4 is looking for a production partner to produce its range of Champions Cup programming. Details can be found on our website. So they somehow bid for this without actually having anything in place. So maybe we should bid for it. BBC Alba. Yeah. <laughs> Penas. Get Hugh down on the case, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Cammy, did we not have another uh, rugby player dream as well? Did we? Yeah, there was one. I'll, I'll try and find it. You carry on. We'll carry on. Okay. Um, we'll. Uh, well, we're going to move on quickly. We'll do. Um, hang on. I'm going to get it to this. I'm going to find this other jingle. We'll do this, and then while you look for the dream, Rory. Yeah, it's Hands in the Ruck or any other business section of the podcast. Um, we have had a... I was sat tirelessly actually waiting last week after we decided rather clumsily to discuss the sash. I was waiting for some sort of horrendous backlash that we'd said something really um, awful, but the, the most... Yeah, the most backslash. That's good. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. That's why you get the big bucks. Um, 
Um, the biggest backlash or backsash that we had was the fact that Brody didn't properly explain how the pro team draft works <laughs> after he had a rant about it. <laughs> Nobody was bothered about our clumsy discussion of sectarianism, but um, yeah, we described how the pro draft works wrong, apparently. Um, Rory, um, your hands in the ruck. Um, well, I, I, my only hands in the ruck from uh, watching the rugby on the other night was the fact that my uh, prawn crackers didn't have enough crackers in the bag but tesco have sorted me out so um thanks tesco and uh i can't claim claim that as a beef anymore i find the uh just to diverge i find the dream it was is it sec- uh, from, it, hang on from, can i check is is it a sexy dream no um it no. was from rona who uh who wrote a report for us earlier in the season and on one of the women's games uh, i recently had a dream in which rory jackson and i were working together at a bar when notorious purveyor of crimes against music Ed Sheeran entered and attempted to buy two brandies using a dodgy five hundred pound note. Yeah, that's not. That's interesting. It's not so. I prefer the sexy dreams because then I get to play Barry White under the bottom. Oh, yeah, okay, okay. Oh, right, okay. I thought it was a set for censorship reasons. Yeah, don't don't play Ed Sheeran over the top of that. Yeah. No, no, no. We've got an, a complete anti Ed Sheeran policy on this podcast. The only time we we allowed it is when uh, Vern Cotter sent us that his highlights reel that had Ed Sheeran underneath it and didn't really have the heart to change it given he'd been so gracious in sending it to us. Oh, no. Yeah, sent it back. I'm not having this. Sorry, I'm taking your Coach of the Decade award back because you've used Ed Sheeran in your highlights reel. Um, Tough but fair. <laughs> uh, Alan, your your hands in the ruck. Trial by Twitter. <laughs> um, it, and I, I suppose really what I'm alluding to here is everyone's decided that Spain have to be in the Rugby World Cup now. You know, it doesn't matter that actually they were pretty abject against Belgium in their last game. Um, because of the way it, sh- it shook out. Um, so for those that don't understand, I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, the way that the it, it panned out in the, the Rugby Europe Championship, um, the last it came down to the last game to see if Spain actually automatically qualified for the Rugby World Cup. They would have ended up in Scotland's pool uh, for the World Cup in Japan. Um, but because the, the match officials were picked months ago, uh, it ended up with them having an all-Romanian uh, officiating team. And so, obviously, there was uproar about that because Romania, depending on the result, could have automatically qualified. Spain actually lost that game. Um, it wasn't a great performance from Vlad Georgescu um, as, as referee, but um, Spain came out on the other side of that and there was they remonstrated uh, with the referee. The referee had to be escorted. It was pretty ugly scenes. Um, and since then, there's been a lot happening. Um, you know, it's a nuanced thing. There's a lot of investigations to be done. Um, there's new tidbits and rumours and accusations flying all the time. Um, and, it, you know, something like this shouldn't happen again. Uh, you know, people should be able to change who the officials are, hang what they decided months ago, common sense should reign. Mm-hmm. Uh, this kind of thing and you imagine that that will be the case from now on uh, however um, I'm not saying who's right or who's wrong on this one but people were out with their flaming torches and mm. the referees just they feared for his safety so he's just had a challenge cup fixture taken off him uh, for the knockouts um, and you know apart from wondering whether or not referees from lower tiers will get opportunities because of the potential for people kicking up enough of a stink. Twitter has been a flame, and I kind of like people to just sort of calm down a bit now and let's wait and see what happens, rather than just deciding, oh well, Spain are going to be in the world, should be in the World Cup, let's get them in the World Cup, let's wait and see, everyone. Yeah, I mean it's interesting that suddenly Twitter developed an interest in um, tier two rugby. Yeah, absolutely, and you know uh, it's fantastic, and there are different sides to this. Um, I, I did not. I did my first ever thread, which you have to say in capital letters, or with square brackets, thread on Twitter, um, because people have sort of forgotten what's happening uh, on the Romanian side of things, and they've just had their uh, cup final in Romania, but their coaches uh, from Romania stepped down before the last game of the of the Rugby Europe Championship. Um, Edinburgh fans will remember. Lynn Howell, Rob Moffat, and uh, Massimo Petita, uh, who were coaches at Edinburgh. And Mass also helped out with Scotland. And these guys, 
uh, stepped down a week before, and then Romania uh, went uh, actually ended up qualifying, and the union has no interest in getting them back. Guys that have helped guide them, um, the players I think are pretty miffed about that because they wanted to stick together as a big group. So there's a lot of that going on. Then they have the continuing murmurs about Spain over their head, and then they had to try and focus on the cup final. So it's it's a it's you know it's a very nuanced thing. There are lots of different people involved. Uh, you're right, though. It's at least somewhat refreshing to have people talking about the uh, teams outside of the Six Nations during the Six Nations window. I suppose it's something to... Uh, one thing that's come out of it, and there was the other bit of news, was it Tahiti uh, mm-hmm. who fielded 15 ineligible players, however many it was? Um, that yes, there is... Tahiti have been punted out of the uh, the process uh, for the, the Rugby World Cup. They were actually going to go through to, uh, to play uh, an Oceania-Asia playoff and then the winner of that goes through to a repechage, and the winner of the repechage also goes through to the to the Rugby World Cup. Um, but we, um, they will go to Pool B of the Rugby World Cup. But uh, yeah, Tahiti, no, not not so good for them. No, I mean I suppose it just brings that there is there is a there is work to be done. I suppose at the lower levels in sort of tightening up on things like this. Um, I, I suppose tightening up the admin, as boring as that is, it does have an impact, and it's not—it's—it's it's simple things that are going wrong, and it might be worth, you know, whether it's a training issue or what, an yeah. HR issue. I, I mean, that—that's the thing, and that is one of the big differences between the tiers, and infrastructure and money. You're just never going to get beyond those. Those are going to be the big differences. I mean, what I will say is, I spoke to someone. Uh, I spoke to someone who's. Uh, in, heavily involved um, talking to to unions at the moment. I won't name name them, um, but they said that there are some pretty famous unions out there in Tier One and Tier Two, who are professional setups run by amateurs. Was the exact thing I got mm. told. Yeah, and the thing is, is that's one of the biggest things holding rugby back. And I say World Rugby, not the organ, the governing body, but the game as a whole. That is what's holding it back. Is that people still can't quite catch up with the idea of professionalism, and you want everything to, to run as smoothly. It's a shame when a team can get knocked out uh, from the opportunity to get to get to recognise their dream because of a um, clerical error or, or you know just by not going through the proper paperwork or jumping through the right flaming hoops, which is why I'm saying let's wait and see what shakes out um, with this um, Rugby World Cup qualification process. Um, let's see what happens with those second-tier teams. And let's just stop. Let's take off our white wigs, and <laughs> put down the axe, and let's just see what happens in the next few weeks. Because yes. it's not like there's test rugby that's going on right now, or that's going to be going on right now that's going to take it over. Yeah, and I suppose that the other thing that's worth remembering is below sort of the tier one, and even within tier one, I mean, there's um, I know at least one Scottish referee that you know does it voluntarily, but goes and referees all over Europe. You know, the guys, a lot of guys are still. At volu- you know, doing this on a voluntary basis and just getting their expenses, and yeah. you know, you can't whether or not they can be held to the same account when they're giving up their time for free. You know, standards are standards, but I think rugby as a game, there's still a lot of guys. Just you know, if, if it wasn't for them doing it, then the game would wouldn't run. Yeah, fair. Um, my one was John Inverdale, just because we've covered him so many times over the uh, <laughs> <laughs> the course the course of this uh, Six Nations. Just I was just thinking back on it, and I, I was really I thought the BBC coverage um, this year I can't I can't get my I can't get my head around ITV. I don't think I'll ever, I ever will do. Um, but the BBC coverage I think generally has been excellent. I really like Paul O'Connell. I really thought Sam Warburton was good. Um, Sam Warburton, Martin Johnson. Yeah, and, and and Martin Johnson was good value for money as well. I thought he was really good, really, um, you know, quite funny actually. Um, was it was it the John Inverdale who asked him, you know, do you hate the Scottish when you're playing them? And he said, I hate. I think he turned around and said, I hate everybody, even my teammates, when I was playing. <laughs> was his answer? Um, but I just, I think it's, it feels like it needs freshening up a little bit. I think Inverdale sort of is a bit of a throwback, and the whole wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a massive England fan. Things just getting a little, it, you know, it's irritating a couple of years ago, and I think it's just starting to wear it a little bit thin. When you've got, frankly, people that are, you know, like Gabby Logan, and he, and even, you know, when I had to force to watch ITV against Italy, Jill Douglas doing doing a much better job 
of and and you know and doing it partially. Um, so that was that was my hands in the rook. I think one that was was shared in the comments on the blog as well. Was was yours generally just the crisps, Rory, this time? Um, yeah. Well, the the only other one was uh, one we received today, which was uh, from somebody who was complaining about the. It was from the black and red who uh, Edinburgh fan account and. His hands in the rut were the infrequency of Scottish Rugby Blog podcasts. Out oh, with correct. Six it, was, Nations. It, was Ma- it was Martin Bell. Edinburgh oh, Martin Express. Bell, sorry. He is also um, an Edinburgh fan. At least I got that right. Um, yeah. He, infrequency of SRB podcasts. There you go. Catchy name for it. Out with yeah. the Six Nations and Autumn International periods. That's uh, that. Out. What did you say, Alan? Get your finger out. <laughs> yeah well that brings us on neatly that's that's thanks for that Rory it's a nice seg neatly into um yeah we are going to be back in uh April we're going to try and do it monthly um April May we'll be back more regularly during the summer uh next season we might even experiment with bi-weekly um podcasts um outside of the international window just to see how they go um so can I uh, ask, we will can see I ask one last thing go on Yes, you can. Because I didn't hear the jingle. See when you said earlier, now for some messages. Is that because when my grand says messages, it's me <laughs> shopping. <laughs> yeah, I nipped, I nipped down to Aldi um, while you were. Yeah, no, it's um, we've we, we've gone pro. We've got adverts. Bloody hell! Yeah, I've not seen a, I've not seen a penny of them yet. Um, that <laughs> no, is, you probably won't either. No, um, this it's not. I will stress this. It is not a lot of money. It's not even if if my laptop packs up this year, it's not going to buy us a new. Like it might buy what somebody this year. We might be able to afford to buy a better mic for one person. Um, last week we were advertising cars. The week before we were advertising how to report um, abused children to um, to to the government online. And I then hope, I'm driving. I hope it's Maury's wigs from Goodfellas. That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> I might just stick that in halfway through, just after at the end of the adverts. Yeah. Um, I don't want to bite the hand that's feeding us, but it's not fed us anything yet, so um, <laughs> yeah. worth it go. Um, anyway, yes. Uh, thank you all for listening, everybody. Um, Eve, Pete, especially, who said, "I can't help but thinking that the Scottish Rugby Blog has modelled their podcast on the Scotland Rugby Team. They can go from exceptional and ex- inspiring to ridiculous and frankly baffling, all within a single episode. Always highly entertaining and good to see you don't take yourselves too seriously. Keep up the good work." Um, but a couple of other reviews as well um so please leave us reviews on apple Podcasts because apparently that helps i don't understand how but it does um and we'll be back uh, in april keep an eye on the blog for when that'll be um but for the moment it's goodbye from me and goodbye from alan and rory goodbye